I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The ambulance pulls into the emergency entrance of Spanish Peaks Hospital, and I'm pushed into the tiny hospital room. I can hear Dylan being brought in, and I call out to him. Hey, buddy. Haley. Haley. When the boys get excited, Hay and Lee become combined, forming the name Haley. What are you doing? I say this as more of a greeting than anything else. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm okay, bud. It was just a 40 cal through and through. Dylan is wheeled away, and I know he will be fine. His right arm is fractured, and he has road rash from flying out the back window and smacking the pavement. But besides that, he's absolutely fine. My wound is still hurting me. The door's open, and I can see Ryan. He looks dazed, and his neck is in a huge brace. I yell out to Ryan and repeat almost exactly what I said to Dylan. My mind is starting to play tricks on me. I don't feel like this is reality. It can't be. Soon there are 50 or more officers and staff milling around, peeking in at me and making comments under their breath. They all seem excited, even happy. I hear one say, We caught the Doherty gang. I can't believe it. Little old Walsenberg PD. I look away and sigh. A nice older male nurse comes over and tells me they're moving me across the hall. I'll be right next to Dylan and Ryan, so of course, I get excited. 
Welcome to the Doherty Gang, a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. Episode 9, 25 Bars of Xanax. I'm Courtney Armstrong, a crime producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker. We've been working with producer Beth Greenwald on the Doherty Gang for months. Now, these three siblings have agreed to tell their story for the very first time, each from separate prisons. Lee Grace Doherty is at the Federal Correction Institute, Aliceville, in Alabama. Ryan Doherty is in the U.S. Penitentiary, Tucson, in Arizona. And Dylan Doherty is at the Federal Correction Institute in Bennettsville, South Carolina. This call is from a federal prison. You know, we're young kids. We're, we're, we're dumb. We're inexperienced as far as both the consequences of what's coming and then, I don't know, man, they just, like, expect you to know. Like, you know what's illegal and what's not, right? But there's no public safety announcement, you know, over the television once a day that says, hey... If you're 18, don't fuck a 15-year-old chick. Hey, if you rob a bank, you're going to get 40 years. You know, hey, there's there's none of of that. It's just like uh, society just depends on your parents to drill these things into you. And it's not that my mom didn't. It's just that, I don't know, she probably just never saw it in the cards for us. After an eight-day, 15-state pursuit, including two shootouts with police and a bank robbery, the Doherty's were arrested in Colorado and law enforcement was more than eager to speak with them. The FBI questioned them first, followed by the Florida authorities, who flew out immediately after they were captured. Here's Pascal County Detective Tim Harris. We initially wanted to talk to Ryan because the information that we had gleaned from from our investigation back here was that he was kind of the, not necessarily the weak link uh, because in actuality, he was the one that had that had caused the whole circumstance with with him uh, getting put on probation, uh, cutting off his ankle bracelet. We were told as we were trying to set up that interview that Ryan had been contacted by an attorney out there and that he didn't want to talk to law enforcement. And so, of course, we explained to our counterparts there at the sheriff's office that he needed to verbalize that to either one of them or to us directly, Um, obviously, that he was asserting his Fifth Amendment rights and that he didn't want to talk to us, uh, which he did. They went back contact and he said, nope, I don't want to talk to anyone. So we moved on to Lee Grace. And she was the first interview that we uh, that we did that day. And that was on uh, August uh, 11th, I believe. I'd like to talk to you about what happened. Okay, starting from uh, actually August the second when this all came about, mm-hmm. and until the, the very end. Since you're in custody, I have to read your rights. Okay. Lee Grace and Dylan both waived their rights to an attorney and spoke with the Pascal County authorities. You know, well, what was thinking. what was the plan? There was no plan. It was. Kind of, you know, Ryan's like, they gave me this ankle bracelet, I'll never be able to see my son. My son, my son, my son. That was just the whole problem. What was he talking about? Was he, what was yeah. he saying about his ankle bracelet? He was like, how could this judge do this to me? He's like, how is this happening? You know, and Dylan's just like, he was railroaded, he was railroaded. You know, the lawyer, the lawyer, the lawyer. Because, you know, when you pay a lawyer 20 $25,000, you expect some good results. Results, I mean, right. you know, you, you kind of go into a situation knowing, okay, this is going to be bad, it's going to be good. You know, when someone convinces you, okay, this is going to be a good situation, you kind of want it something, it turns around really fast, you're kind of like, you know, you get choked up, and I didn't want to see my little brother go to prison. I mean, I, I love my brother with all my heart. I don't want anything bad to happen to him. Right. Here's Dylan being interrogated by detectives. 
obviously he, he made a huge, huge decision in, in doing what he did by, by cutting the bracelet off and leaving. I mean, did he not consider that the repercussions of that would be even worse than what the situation he was in? I mean, what was his line of thinking? He, we just want, I just wanted so to get him away and hide him. I'm not saying it didn't matter. I, well, yeah, I guess it, it technically it really, it really wouldn't. I mean, the, well, and that's what I'm saying. The judge told him with the, with the state prosecuting attorney there and my brother's lawyer and two other guys that they brought in from wherever they. Either, I mean, my brother said he was about to, you know, use the bathroom in his pants, you know, this this big, you know, it was a big ordeal, man. He's well, been so stressed out over that for, forever, man. It's a life-changing experience still, and there's no doubt. And he said that they were up there laughing like they had just, like they had just come from playing golf together or something. And, and well, they was, probably did. And the judge was like... They may have. The judge was like, oh, well, I'm sorry, but you're just going to have to do it, and... and, and and there was no way my brother was going to go to do it. They were setting him up for failure. They're giving him just enough rope to hang himself, man. Lee Grace spoke coyly during her interrogation. Basically, when you guys left Zephyr Hills, you went on the run. I mean, right. you, you were gone. And that's what we want to know. If no, you can remember where you I were, what you did, how camping. you ended up here in that's Colorado. Camping. Yeah. We love the state, and it's really nice. And it's right. pretty, and we were camping. That's all I remember. But the Pascal County detectives really wanted to know about the chase with the police cruiser. Do you remember where you drove to when you left Zephyr Hills? For some reason, we're going south, mm -hmm. you know? And then Ryan's going like eight miles over, and Dylan's like, slow down, slow down, slow down. And so also, Ryan's driving? Ryan was driving, and Dylan's like, slow down. And then there were lights, and then it just kind of, everything just kind of goes Black. Yeah. I mean, so you see the patrol car behind you. You're in the back seat. I'm in the back seat. Yes, okay. sir. What? What? Uh, when you saw? Did you see the lights activate? Like, hey, we're being stopped. Yeah. Yeah. I think he. I think he turned his lights on when he passed. I think he passed us at one point, and then he got behind us. Okay. All right. What happens next? I wish I could be more helpful. Okay. I just. Right. Detective Tim Harris pressed Lee Grace for answers. Was any shots fired when you took a right? Um. I mean, I, I, really, be I, I talked to the FBI a lot mm -hmm. yesterday. I mean, I really, I told them everything that I wanted to really say, you know, mm -hmm. without a lawyer present. Okay. Because I really, I don't want to hurt any more people. I don't want to get any more people in trouble. You're in trouble. You're in deep trouble. And you know that. You and your brothers. I thought if someone said, okay, if you tell us exactly what happened, we'll cut you a deal. You know, we'll get you a reduced in sentence. But I don't think that's going to happen. You guys are well, smart. You guys already know what happened. See, the grace, like I was telling you, what it's about is, is that, and the reason that we sit down and we talk with people that end up being in your situation is, is that if we don't get the explanation of the series of events from you as you remember they happened, there may be stuff out there that you get blamed for that you didn't do. You see what I mean? And, and obviously we don't want that to happen. I mean, that's one of right, the Right, but if I tell you right. who was shooting, what was shot at, why we shot, you're, it's, gonna, it's not, it's not going to come back to me. I mean, I'm not going to say I had no part in this. I had, it was three people. I was 33 and a third at all. And, and, but see, that's, you know, our, that's, what we want, that's what we want to know. You know, right. can yeah. you talk to one of them and ask them what happened? Because sure, I will. They'll, but, they'll say, yeah. well, you know, we love Lee Grace, but she's a drug addict and she needs help. And, and, and we, she and probably needs to be in mental institute. You know, talk to, talk to the ones that know what's going on. Right. I take in enough drugs to put five people down. Okay. I right. take in approximately 25. 25 of what? Bars of Xanax. 
Bars, oh, okay. Bars, which are... Jenny bars. Yeah, Jenny yeah. bars. They're yeah. two milligram One. bars. Right. So I take in approximately 25 of those. The detectives turn their attention back to Dylan. When the uh, officer pulled up behind you and you turn on 54, how many shots did you fire from the 40? Do you remember? I mean, if you don't... I, I don't remember. Okay. Six, seven, I don't... I honestly don't remember. Okay. So when you're traveling down 54, what happens? There's Allen Road right in here. There's Allen called Allen Road. What happens in that area? Gives us some more shots fired in here. If you don't remember, just fine. Understandably, Pascal County detectives were growing frustrated. You know, we're talking about weapons. Do you remember back at the house when you put the weapons? How did the weapons get in the vehicle? I'm assuming they were in the vehicle because you say you had them with you, right? I guess I put them in there. Well, I don't want you to guess. I mean, just, just let me know what happened. I did. Uh, I was in. There was something I could sell, something I could turn into cash, something that mm -hmm. helped. Just like you know, just something that we could barter with. What's your thought process at the time when you guys were being stopped? Um, is or. or is anybody saying anything as far as let's not stop? Did you ask your brother uh, Ryan to stop? No. Okay. Well, what happened? Can you tell me what happened? What? Who decided to fire the shots? Dylan. Who decided to fire the shots? Nobody got hurt, Dylan. Nobody got hurt. After a long pause, Dylan finally answered Detective Harris's question. It was it was me. I shot the cop car. Is that do you remember what with the first time? What weapon did you have in your hand the first time? Do you remember? Or you just don't want to tell me? I, don't, I really don't remember. Okay. Alright. Um well can you tell me uh how many weapons uh were in the car at the time? Quite a few. I don't really I didn't have like a finger count. I just, okay, so you're just trying to disable his car from. You were trying to hurt him. Is no. that what you tell me? Okay. Well, you did. You know what you did? You shot out of his tire. Okay, his left front tire went flat. Okay. That's what I would. Okay. That's great. If I wouldn't the right side. Of, I would have cut him in half. Right. I didn't want to. I just wanted to get away. Okay. Did anyone else in the car fire a weapon? I freaked, I, I guess I panicked, freaked out, whatever. I just, I didn't want my, I just wanted to protect my brother, man. Here's Beth speaking with Officer Widener. It seems like they were kind of firing recklessly, but they did hit the car quite a bit. Do you think if they wanted to, when you rounded that corner, that they could have caused you harm directly, have shot you? I guess it all depends on how good of a shot the person is, you know, and, and honestly, uh, it, I don't know, I don't know what they were thinking. Dylan fired 20 times with an assault weapon on the police officer. Here's lawyer and gun expert, Jay Mayish. I'm very skeptical of the ability of someone in a speeding car to shoot out the tire of another speeding car. That would be one hell of a shot. Uh, so perhaps one of those cars was stationary at the time. Uh, I don't know the answer, or maybe it was a lucky shot, uh, but it would be uh, most unusual. This business of shooting out the tires of a car uh, happens in the movies. Is it possible if one of the cars was stationary, the 
Doherty's were ahead of the police patrol car and pulled around an embankment. And when that car came around the bend, they shot the tire out. I suppose that's, you know, if you set if the shot were set up that way, I suppose it's perfectly possible to do that. But everything would have to be moving at uh, near zero speed in order to be accurate. You know, you can always be lucky. You can, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, uh, some people say he was the greatest shot in the world and other people say he, he was lucky. Let's stop here for another quick break. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications She had a Harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. 
drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Detective Kevin Widener, who was chasing the Doherty's, was interviewed on the local news. I look forward to seeing these criminals receive the punishment they are due for putting my life in danger, as well as many citizens they showed total disregard for. Widener is married and has a seven-month-old child. He says he's never been shot at until last week. Detective Tim Harris shared something more from the interrogation. I don't want to call it sincere, but uh, it sounded sincere. Uh, Dylan said, just tell the officer in Zephyr Hills I'm sorry. Here's Pascal County Sheriff Chris Nako. Those three made the decisions they made. and Maybe they grew up in an environment that didn't teach those type of things, you know, it, which is, you know, it, it's sad for anybody to have to do that. But at some point in everybody's life, they have to make a decision. So unfortunately, in our society, you know, we're trying, we often shift blame away from the person who actually makes that decision. And that's the person where it needs to go back to. They, they made a conscious decision to put guns in a vehicle, to drive and to shoot at law enforcement. Offering up a different perspective is psychotherapist Annie Armstrong Meow. When someone experiences significant ongoing trauma in their childhood, their brains develop in different ways so that their response and ability to gauge threat is heightened. So their fight-flight-freeze response is heightened. Their ability to decipher risk and then use the part of their brain that helps them with judgment and rational thinking is less active. So when that part of the brain that responds to threat is activated, the part of the brain that uses reason and judgment is diminished. And so you see that kind of showing up in hasty decisions or risky behavior. It also shows up in drug abuse or anxiety disorders or depression. After the interrogations, the Doherty's were held at the jail in Walsenburg, Colorado. Tonight, three Pasco County siblings wanted in Florida and also in Georgia are being held on $1.3 million bond apiece in Colorado. They're each charged with attempted murder and assault on a police officer. Now the family will face charges together in three separate states. Now, despite all the gunfire aimed at law enforcement, fortunately, no officers were hurt. As for the Doherty's, it remains unclear just which state will actually get to try them. Here's Beth Greenwald speaking with Ryan. So when do you first get arraigned? 
How many days after you're taken into custody? The next day, you always go for your first appearance, right? And then you go shortly after that for arraignment, and then it stalls, stalls, stall, delay tactics in order to get... Um, the judicial system always works like this. doesn't matter where you go, it's universal. You go your very first day, the next day for first appearance. That's like mandatory. That's sacrosanct, right? Then you move from there to like maybe like a first appearance, which is bullshit. It's just like you're appearing, here's your charges, here's what you're being brought up on, here's bail if you're going to be appointed it or not, and then uh, here's the public defender if you are indigent, and here's, or you can choose to hire a, a private attorney at this time. And then you move forward from there, and then it's pretty much stall tactics. You wait to get your discovery. You see how bad the evidence is mounted against you. Did you know that Amber went into labor? Not until I was already arrested. Where were you when you found out she gave birth? I was in like a county jail, just a jail. And I remember one of the jailers came and gave me like a piece of paper. And all it said on it was my my son's name and his uh, his weight. You know, that he, he was born and, and whatnot. Just a real short note. He just came and gave it to me, didn't say anything, just, hey, this is for you, and then handed it to me and left. Man, it's just crushing because you know that it's really emotional at the beginning. Now it's like I'm stripped of emotions. I got a lot less emotions than, than I did then. Obviously, it's, a, it's an emotional time. About a week after being arrested, Lee Grace met with her attorney, Patrick McCarville. Here's Beth Greenwald speaking with McCarville. Tell me what that first meeting is like, or what, what the initial meetings are like as you're getting ready to represent her. Lee Grace was in good spirits, uh, which was somewhat surprising given her overall situation. And basically, she remained in good spirits throughout my representation of her. I found it interesting at her very first court appearance on August 22nd of 2011. I had never seen the slew of CNN trucks, satellite vehicles uh, parked up and down Main Street. Um, the court and the local law enforcement was so concerned that there would be, I guess a gang would come, you know, break them out of jail, that they had snipers on uh, all of the buildings around the courthouse. And so uh, because of all the satellite trucks, my investigator and I had to park a block or so away from the courthouse. And as I got out of my vehicle, a what I would characterize as a homeless person came up to me and said, is today the day they're going to sentence the fugitives? And of course it wasn't, it was the first time they were appearing in court. Um, but that pretty much solidified my belief that this was going to be an uphill climb in representing her, that if the homeless population believed that not only were they guilty, but they were about to be sentenced, um, and that was the community sentiment at the time. I had, you know, tried homicide cases um, prior to this, but I had never handled a case that had so much media attention. Um, so I, I tried to give Lee Grace uh, as much attention as I could. Back in 2011, she uh, was very forthcoming. I, I had her complete, you know, some social surveys so that 
I knew just about every aspect of her life. Um, it, and I, I guess what the, the theme that was really, you know, boiling to the surface was the bond she had with her brothers. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts i used to have so many men how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks with zero qualifications she had a harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC 
was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kobe Becker was Dylan's attorney. Do you remember your first meeting with Dylan? We did talk about the case. We talked about, you know, our strategy for the case and stuff like that. But we, we really talked mostly about him, about life, what he wanted to do. He asked about my family. We talked about my son. Um, you know, it, it was a lot of chit-chatting. The first time my attorney came and spoke to me, uh, Miss Becker came in on my state case there in Colorado, and you know she was the file was pretty thick, so to speak. And you know she's like, "Oh, they're trying to charge you with this, this, and this." And, and she kind of made like a little like a, a light joke. I think, according to Dylan, you had said something to the effect of like you had to go into like the fanciest. I think I told them like, "Why didn't you just try Walmart?" Like you would, you know, you went into REI and took the fanciest, you know, camping equipment or tried to pay for the fanciest. And I did give him props for wanting to pay for that, um, for his purchases. But I was sort of laughing about how ridiculous that was that he was paying with all the money. And Dylan and I, from the very beginning, had a really good relationship because he, he was able to at least recognize the ridiculousness, um, of his actions and uh i've learned a lot about you know brain development and and they were all you know early 20s um i think ryan was 19 maybe 18 19 at the time and you know they just they made impulsive decisions and you know but what i really loved about that family as much as all the crimes that are alleged to have committed and all the fear that they've put in people and law enforcement, et cetera, et cetera. They really were a family and they, they definitely were very much like, Hey, if we're going to go down, we're going to go down all together. And I have a lot of admiration for that, if you will. We reached out to Ryan's attorney as well, but he didn't want to participate. Avedon Molesky is a psychologist who specializes in sibling relationships. He followed the Doherty case closely. They were clearly a close-knit, uh, a bunch of siblings. And then you add all these stressors to it, and that closeness just thrives even further. And, and that sibling closeness or that sibling compensation is kicking in now in a very powerful way in order to help the siblings continue working together to deal with this new life adversity. And that's really the story throughout uh, this entire episode is that even once they're on the run, how they're taking care of each other during that week on the run. And then even once they're caught and they're going through the whole trial system, they're looking after each other. So what basically is happening where you, when you have certain positive dynamics between siblings and you just throw as you're calling it trauma 
into the mix, it just tightens that sibling dynamic further. And they're even more, quote, obsessed in taking care of each other. The Doherty's never gave up on one another, and their sibling devotion continued. A jail cell search comes up big as 26-year-old Dylan Doherty is caught with an 8-inch knife made up of metal and a farewell letter addressed to the FBI and Huerfano County Jail. According to their arrest affidavit, it reads, I've enjoyed staying here, so don't take any of this personal. Dylan is the type of thinker, he just thinks out of the box. And I think when you give somebody a certain setback, his only way to deal with a setback is to actually overcome it. If you put him in a box, if you give him enough time, if he has enough energy, he's going to find a way to escape. You know, when he was making those plans, he was in his right state of mind and he was going to escape. Now, whether or not he knew what was going to happen after we actually escaped, I don't know. More on that next time. If you're over 18 years old and want to see pictures of Lee Grace and Ryan Doherty or find their addresses to write them in prison, go to our Instagram at KT underscore studios. The Doherty Gang is executive produced by Stephanie Lidecker and me, Courtney Armstrong, along with Beth Greenwald, Sean McEwen, and Joseph Morgan. Editing and sound design is by Jeff Twa. Additional producing by Chris Graves and Jeff Shane. The Doherty Gang is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. 
Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love at First Listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.